0: The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So I want to talk a little bit more about intention. And uh, one of the things in your small groups tonight um, you might want to share is just how in your own life you've started to make the connection between the quality of the intention in the mind and some action, something you say, something you do, something you think, and clearly recognizing the unskillfulness of it, like feeling the karmic effect of being unskillful, or feeling the karmic effect of being skillful. And so that you're learning, you know, through the steadiness of mindful awareness to see the birth of greed or the birth of hatred, aversion, irritation, And then because there's not enough clarity, not enough discernment, the acting out of that unwholesome intention through thought, through speech, through action. And then somehow letting nature, letting life teach its lesson like that is unskillful because now the imprint from having acted out the hate Let's say, the imprint in the mind and the heart hurts. That's the karmic fruit. And it doesn't matter if we, if, like, nobody catches us. If we do something, this is like one of the real uh, essential points that the Buddha made about morality. Because we have these sort of funny ideas. Like, one idea of morality is that there's a A being out there who is the moral arbitrator, and usually he, she, (laughs) it—you know, this other being, Santa Claus, whatever it uh, is—is sort of watching and discerning, like whether you're being good or bad. And so we often see, well, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, and so we let that go. And then we're in this sort of—we think morality is sort of a relative thing that it doesn't exist in a real way. I mean, we have cultural norms that we agree to, don't do this, this is okay, but there's not anything actually good or bad ultimately. But that's not really right either. Like from a Buddhist point of view, the way the Buddha taught, and I would say from an experiential point of view, that's not right. So I think the way the Buddha would maybe talk about it is that Morality isn't relative. Good and bad isn't relative because it is directly discernible or one can directly experience the skill or unskillfulness of an action based on the imprint it leaves in the mind. So then it doesn't matter if everybody thinks you did the right thing. What matters is the clarity of your mind discerning what the imprint like what's left over given that you just said that to somebody or just did something to somebody what is the impression on the heart what's left over and is that thing that's left over that because it's like a, a living thing that imprint you know it has an ongoing effect on the mind stream like whatever this is me as it unfolds moment to moment it's been affected It has this imprint from what I did before. And so, what's the quality of that impression, that imprint? Wholesome? Liberating? Lightens the heart? Frees up the heart? Or is it experienced as a burden? An obscuring quality in the mind and heart? A heavy quality in the mind and heart? A numbing quality in the mind and heart? So, In a funny way, morality is not relative, but it's something that each of us have to figure out for ourselves. We can't really go to, I mean, maybe a good friend can help us see and feel the sort of karmic results of our intentional actions, like whether something we've done was skillful or not, but they don't really know. They can just like help up point in the right direction. Well, what does it feel like? You know, what's left having done that? And people often say, oh, no, I don't feel anything. But sometimes when a friend says that, you know that like they're trying hard, <laughs> you know, to tell them. It's like part of them saying, no, no, it feels fine. I'm okay with that. You can almost pick up like the deception, the self-deception. So then as a friend... You know, or even as an individual, if we suspect that's what we're doing, we can just uh, kind of rally the mind to be a little bit more honest. No, no, really. what What am I feeling? What's left over? What's going on? And then you really see the importance of Samadhi, because if the mind isn't relatively steady, the heart's not steady, then we won't necessarily be able to read the skillfulness and unskillfulness of how we are in the world, how we're showing up in the world. So, in other words, it's really relatively easy to be a uns- to live in an unskillful way when we're not when our mind when the quality of mindfulness is superficial. And this is the good news. The corollary to that, it's relatively easy live skillfully when our mindfulness is steady and clear. It's really hard to be bad, to be unskillful in awareness. I mean, we can make mistakes when the mind is clear, but we tend not to make the same mistake twice, right? Unless we lose the clarity. But as long as the mind is clear, because of the force of habit, we may do something that, oh boy, that was not skillful. I thought I was coming from a, one of those wholesome intentions but it was just masquerading as you know and it, it was really hate behind it or greed behind it or delusion and now it feels like this so then we won't do it again because the steadiness the the force of mindfulness sees the truth like this hurts the karmic effect the leftover hurts it's entangling, it's heavy, it's hard to bear. So in that way, it's not relative. When I do something that's actually unskillful, that almost by definition it means that when the mind is clear, the effect on the heart hurts. That's what it means. That's how we know it was unskillful. And, you know, we can't even tell, like, I may do something and it really hurts somebody. They're really hurting. But does that mean it was an unskillful thing to do? No, because sometimes people get hurt and it's just the right medicine for them. So how can we tell whether something is skillful or not? I mean, I'm not saying that we should be oblivious to the fact whether our words cause other people harm or hurt, you know, pain. But it's, it's not a perfect measure of our, the skillfulness of our actions in the world. We have really only one thing, which is to look at what kind of heart, how has the heart been impressed upon, what kind of heart is getting set in motion. Is it a heart characterized by the three wholesome intentions, the intention of letting go, or renunciation or generosity, these are just different words for this one intention, the intention of goodwill which means the intention to be close, to be able to be close to connect, to allow, to accept and the intention to empathize, to understand that other living beings are like this living being here in the same way I want to be safe, these living beings want to be safe. In the same way I want to avoid digging a hole for myself, other living beings want to avoid falling into those holes, you know, being a hateful person, being a greedy person, being a deluded person. So that empathy, that's compassion. So um It's interesting that, like, well, can we really live a life, you know, be a partner, have kids, have a job, earn a living, you know, all those things, with only those three intentions? It would be sort of like an interesting experiment. Letting go, kindness, and compassion. Can you do everything you need to do as a human being with those three intentions? And it's just its an interesting debate because people say, yeah, but sometimes you really need the anger. You know, it gets things done. Or you need the greed to motivate. Otherwise you just sit on your butt and don't do anything in life. Or you know, people say these things. Or oh, destruction is good. Life is hard. It's so good to be able to absorb into things. A good novel, a good movie, or nice fantasy. But The actual question is, well, what kind of impression does it leave on the heart? What kind of heart or mind is it setting in motion when I live out of these intentions versus living out of these other intentions? So this is why in Buddhism there's a real emphasis on self-reliance, independence, because other people can't actually tell us whether we're being skillful or unskillful. They might have some intuition they might in some moments have more clarity than we do, but ultimately we're the ones who have to take responsibility. We're the ones who have to look carefully and sense directly the skillfulness or unskillfulness of intention. I don't think I read uh, this. Um, this is from Gil Franzdahl. He has a wonderful little booklet you can get for free online. It's called The Issue at Hand, and the chapter on karma. I'm just going to read a little bit from that. Before I do that, I'll just mention, I forget who this was, but one of our senior teachers had this great, I think it was one of the monastic teachers, defines sila. So sila is the Pali word for ethical conduct or for integrity, morality, sometimes translated as. And uh, the definition this teacher gave was habit without conflict. Right, Because all life long, we're going to be operating out of habit energy. And it's just a question of whether the habit energy we're operating out of involves conflict or not. So this is another provocative thing because it seems when, when we're living in a world, like at work or just in society generally, where there are a lot of ignorant forces, it just seems to make a lot of sense that we should be in conflict with those forces. We have to oppose them because otherwise they're going to have their way and we're really going to go, you know, fall apart. The, the world is really going to fall apart. People will really suffer. So, is there a way? This goes back to the. the question I asked before, and you can reflect on this in your small groups tonight, like how you tend to justify the intentions of greed, anger, and delusion and how you tend to mistrust the intentions, how how we tend to mistrust the intentions of renunciation or letting go, generosity, kindness, and compassion. Many of you, most of you have heard this opening passage from the Dhammapada, this collection of verses from the Buddhist tradition. All we experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. So it's really talking about the primacy of intention. Intention. All we experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. You could just substitute the word intention, which is part of the mind, for mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind, peaceful intention, wholesome intention, and happiness follows like the shadow that never leaves. So here's a section from Gilfranstall's chapter. This is chapter 7 in that book, The Issue at Hand. You can just Google Gil Franzdahl, The Issue at Hand, and you'll get this book. The Buddha said, what I call karma is intention. In other words, the teaching of karma is about the intentional choices we make in the present. The present moment is to be appreciated mindfully and relaxed into, as we do in meditation. But it is also where we choose how to step forward into the next moment. The more clearly we see the choice, the greater the freedom and creativity we have in making it. Now I mentioned last week, I believe, that initially this responsibility, like first we relax, but we're really relaxing so that the choice that's there in every moment, let's just call it like to be skillful or to relate unskillfully in the moment, we need to relax, we need to be intimate, to even realize that there's a choice. Like, I could either be relatively skillful or unskillful in this moment. And so I mentioned, I think, last week that this feels like a real burden to have to be responsible for, for how I'm relating moment by moment by moment. It's like That's why when we first hear something about these teachings, it's very appealing because we think what they're saying is that we're just going to... It can feel like a real burden uh, because we think that in order to be um, skillful, I have to be vigilant in a way. I personally have to choose to be skillful. I personally have to restrain the intention to be unskillful. But the more we observe, the more and and do the practice, which is this hard practice of waking up to that moment of choice, skillful or unskillful. Like, you know how it is. It's like, oh yeah, I'm being with the breath, but I'm just going to kind of do my practice on autopilot. See, then we're choosing delusion instead of clarity. And there are karmic consequences to that. Like we might fall asleep if we're just doing the mindfulness of breathing on autopilot. Or we might get into some little trance state and then that might become a habit and then that's what we do every time we sit and we never learn anything and so our habit energies never get transformed and that's not you know that's a pretty dangerous way to live a life having the same habit energies we had when we were teenagers or that we learned from the TV we watched when we were kids or you know whatever so but initially it feels like a real burden but eventually the insight deepens and the habit of recognizing that there's a choice and the habit of gravitating towards the choice that has a lighter, more liberated feel to it and avoiding the choices that have a heavier, darker, and a sense of you know more obscured quality to it, avoiding that, that also is habit. That's also nature. So initially we feel like the moral agent who's making a choice to be skillful and refraining from being unskillful. And it feels a little bit burdensome to be that human being. But eventually we see that that choice to be skillful and the choice to refrain from unskillfulness happens on its own. There's awareness. The awareness sees the choice. Wisdom is also part of nature, not self. Wisdom gravitates, appreciates the skillful choice, recoils from the unskillful choice. There doesn't actually need to be a person who recoils from the unskillful and is drawn to the skillful. But initially, the mind will be identified with that clarity. with the. So, so initially, like we're here as practitioners, wanting basically to have enough samadhi, enough steadiness of awareness to open up to this reality that there are intentions always operating, always. Everything arises out of motivation and intention. And when we think we're just sort of, my life is just sort of happening, well, that's probably operating out of the intention this time of my life doesn't matter enough for me to be consciously aware. Like we drive home but we're not really consciously aware that we're driving home because we don't think we have to. So the motivation, the intention is a kind of delusion. Like I don't really have to be reflectively aware of what's happening, why it's happening, because it doesn't matter enough. And we do that a lot in life. just sort of operating out of the intention of denial distraction or delusion. So I just want to say that so you don't feel like well this just feel because it, it does feel a little overwhelming this teachings these teachings on Sila on morality because it, it's asking a lot of us but it's in the direction of things really opening up but they won't open up until the mind initially, realizes that there is this world of intention intentions matter this is like one of the first insights I'm, I'm guessing most of us have had that way back when maybe even when you were 13 or 12 i remember distinctly i don't know i think it made a, might have been seventh grade and uh you know where we we sort of develop a social awareness like what's going on aware, uh, around us in terms of the social interactions and then just seeing people being really unskillful jerks and uh, as we are at that age, and then just clearly like seeing it in terms of karma, like really understanding that on some level it was like an intuition nobody gets away with anything, and like my choice to refrain from being part of the group that were jerks was like. I understood on some level, as much as you know, there were some apparent rewards for sort of being part of that group, there was some appropriate fear like, don't do that. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. So somewhere along the line, most of us to some degree wake up to this first insight that intentions matter. And then we're operating... In Buddhist terms, you're not even considered a human being, even if you have a human body, if you don't have, to some degree, this insight that intentions matter, that it matters. And so that we then, to some degree, we have some ongoing sensitivity to the intentions that are operating, and we also notice it in other people, as much as we can intuit what intentions they're operating out of. It's, you know, it's often guesswork. But still we do it, you know, whether we're do do it well or not. We assume we know or to some degree know what intentions others are operating out of, and hopefully to better in a better way, know what intentions we're operating out of. And we're interested because on some level we know it matters. And it's it matters in terms of how we become happier, more easeful, more more safe feeling more safe and and even that sort of general sense of self-esteem feeling good about who we are all of that comes from paying attention to intentions and learning the difference between what makes us feel good about ourselves and what makes us feel bad about ourselves badly about ourselves so just to continue a little bit more here before we break up into small groups The present moment is partly the result of our choices in the past and partly the result of choices unfolding in the present. Our experience of the next moment, the next day, the next decade is shaped by the choices we make in relationship to where we find ourselves right now. Intended acts of body, speech, and mind have consequences. Taking these consequences into account offers important guidance in our choices for action Right, we're constructing our world moment to moment. We can set in motion hell for ourselves. We can set in motion heaven for ourselves. Right? We avoid all of us, not very efficiently often, that all of us are doing our best with whatever steadiness, whatever samadhi we have to recognize the unwholesome intentions and to refrain from acting them out precisely because we don't want to go to hell. We don't want difficult states, difficult circumstances, internal, external, to arise for us, right? And because there's heaven, not in the way we were taught as a child, maybe, but because things can turn out and really in a really good way for ourselves we're very interested in the causes like what ways of being what ways of behaving what ways of acting what ways of speaking what ways of thinking lead to heaven right so you see that any you would imagine any human being not completely overwhelmed by life or more likely, any human being not caught up in addictive, unproductive habits, like, you know, obsessing about things that ultimately don't matter, this is where their energy would go. Uh, getting really skillful at avoiding setting emotion hell and getting really skillful at setting emotion heaven. Right? I mean, that's kind of what we want to do, but we just don't do it very well. So why don't we do it very well? And this is another thing you can bring up in your small group. So when you reflect on, because we're all here, I think we can all safely say, we want to avoid setting emotion hell for ourselves, and we want to cultivate the conditions to be in a heavenly state, in a really good place. Right? So we can blame, like other people or other conditions, for why we end up more in hell and less in heaven. Or perhaps we haven't been a very good student at really deeply understanding the causes for hell, what intentions actually lead there to contracted states, and what intentions lead to other states. So I mean something simple, like uh, you know killing mosquitoes, or you know I mentioned to somebody the other day, for the f- one of the first times you know we've had an ant problem in our kitchen forever, and we even had a serious kitchen renovation, I, f- in, in my view, in part to deal with the ant problem, and still here they are, <laughs> and so I put down some ant poison along where they are, because they all come into the sink, and then it's just like hard to use the sink. And, and, uh, but uh, you know when I did it, I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. I knew I was using something that on all kinds of levels is not good to have around. And it's like understanding that there will be a consequence. And how do I know that? Because I know what it feels like to put it down. I know it's arising out of irritation it's arising out of ill will It's hard to use things like poison or insulting words without ill will in the heart and so it doesn't matter you know like what happens with that factory that makes that poison or you know what's actually going on in those ants that eat it and then do whatever happens to them because. I can know directly what the feeling is in my heart. Right, That's the imprint. That's what we really... The rest is speculation. But this is real in terms of like, oh yeah, it's just subtle. And it's easy to ignore it. So this is what we want to tune into. So we're going to make mistakes... We're going to act out greed, anger, and delusion, so let's let it be a teacher for us. And that's, again, what you can share in your small group. When you have seemingly acted out of greed, anger, or delusion, report it in your small group. I said this, I did this, I thought this, and I noticed this living on in the heart, this impression. I'm now the one, this heart, I'm living out of the heart that had that thought and acted on it. And it's like this. It feels like this. And then you can hate yourself for doing that, and then you're just digging the hole deeper, right? You like on an express train to (laughs) hell, right? Or you can forgive yourself, and you can modify it. So this is the last point I'll make. And most of you know this teaching, but it's really powerful. I might even have said it last week. But karma is real, but it can be modified, right? So when the the heart that chose to put that ant poison down, right? The impression. Now that's that impression is expressing itself all the time. Sometimes it goes latent and then it rearises. Sometimes it's there for a while. The consequence or the sort of karma of that choice. But when it arises, when it does express itself, it, it, it could express itself when there's a lot of wisdom, which would mean that there would be pain arising because of that action, perhaps. And maybe meeting that pain would be a lot of compassion and forgiveness. It's not easy being a human being. And a lot of the poignancy of understanding that we're constantly stepping on each other's toes, or even worse, you know, we're constantly eating each other and crushing each other and violating each other and harming each other, even though... At least on some level, we don't want to live that way. Here we are again, doing that. Pretty much every time we buy a shirt or buy some food, even you know locally grown green vegetables, creatures are probably being harmed in one way or another. Of course, there are some ways to eat that are probably harming significantly more than other ways to eat. Are we interested in that? And are we going to uh, look deeply and not uh, add, you know, it's sort of like engaging the responsibility but not as a, not fuel for hating ourselves or for getting tight. But that we're really getting intimate with karma, what intentions set in motion as a means towards liberation not getting really tight about wanting to be perfect. And this is the real edge in sila practice. We're g- we have to skirt to some degree that feeling like, oh, there's too many responsibilities. You know, there's like global warming. Every time I take a shower, I'm just thinking, like, God, I should shut it off while I soap up and then turn it back on and should I have it this hot or a little less hot and should I use air conditioning or not and so we want that tension because the tension helps us to pay attention. But we don't want the tension, the sensitivity to the pain, to trigger aversion and shutting down delusion and greed. So I'll leave it there. So we're, we're going to break up into groups of three. Each person will have about three minutes. Remember, in the small groups it's really appropriate to use all of your time. That means even if you ran out of things to say, just the three of you just sit comfortably together in silence, and you can just continue to reflect to see if you have anything more to say. You might even sit in silence for 30 seconds, and then you might have a little bit more to say, or your time might run out. So the two people who are listening really give permission... Relax with the silence when the person runs out of something to say. So everybody gets three minutes. We hold what each other say in confidence. You don't have to nod. You don't have to give the person any kind of obvious social feedback. You can even have your eyes closed when you're listening. Whatever feels uh, you know comfortable for you. But don't feel like you got to help the person share. Just create a neutral space where they can share what they've been learning about these precepts, about the connection between intention and what gets set in motion, or anything that has come up in your practice. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website